Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, right now in this moment. Each of us are invited by you to revelation. Spirit of God, I ask that you would illuminate these words, that you would speak into each of us in only the way that you can, where it feels God. We know this message is for us. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to unplug from the distractions of this, of our life, of this week, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And God, right now, that we would just truly just be instruments of your mercy. So God, reveal to us what you would have for us today. Pray, God, that you would help me, give me a focus, help me to be obedient to your lead. Put a filter over my mouth. May the words of my mouth be in surrender to you. Father God, we pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are in Romans 12 today, a wonderful chapter. We just finished three of maybe some of the most challenging chapters in the Bible, Romans 9, 10, and 11. And I love what Paul does is he sandwiches Romans 9, 10, and 11 between Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors, and Romans 12, living sacrifices. This, this wonderful chapter where Paul gets into what I believe the last part of Romans, Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 are all about. And it's this call where Paul starts to go from exposition. He goes from explaining the gospel, explaining the, this new covenant, this new way of living together to the nitty gritty, to what I would call a gospel response. And verses one through two are really the framework of the entire next four or five chapters where we learn about what does it look like to be a gospel community? What does it look like for us to have this gospel response? And in particular, this idea that in light of the mercy of God, we are to be, quote, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Now maybe you're wondering, what is a living sacrifice? That feels like a paradox or, or, or an oxymoron, right? Living, but sacrifice is usually something that is dead. Well, I think we're going to get to unpack this in the coming weeks, and in particular what it looks like for us as a part of the body of Christ today. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you, I'd like to dig straight into verse one uh, together here. It's just so, it's so wonderful and so powerful. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're gonna dig into verse one here and kind of just work our way verse, through verses one through two and in your bulletin notes, you actually have a little space to write in the margins in case you wanna just dissect a little bit. Uh, I think that this, these two verses are, are really wonderful. They're a great hinge from chapters one through 11 into what is next. And the first thing I wanna notice here is that Paul says, he says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. 
Some translations, he says, therefore, I urge you, or I beg you, or I plead to you. Paul's writing to the church, and it's like he's grabbing them by the shoulders, and he's saying, don't miss this. He's saying, this is something that we, we got to do. God's calling us to. And you may be saying, why is he urging them so boldly? Why is he using this strong language? Well, first, it's this therefore. And the question is always, well, what is, whenever you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you should ask this question, right? What's it there for? It means when we read Romans 12, this is not meant to be one verse that we read all by itself. It is in the part of a letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church. A group of Jews and Gentiles who were in the, in the way of following Jesus, these, these, these little house churches that are all figuring out what it looks like to be the church. And Paul is saying, therefore, this is, this is one of the most pregnant therefores in the Bible. There's so much to this because Paul just spent 11 chapters showing us the gospel. From chapter 1 when we learn that we are all without excuse, that all of us know that there's a God and we've, we've, we've fallen into this spiral of sin. And then Paul says, but I'm unashamed of the gospel of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power to do what? To save. And we think about Romans 1 and Romans 2 and Romans 3 when we learn about that we've all fallen short of the glory of God and that, and that, that we all need a savior. We all are, are fallen short and yet God in his grace has made a way for us. And we think of the, the, the old Adam and the new Adam and talks about Jesus being the new Adam and, and through his reign in our hearts we, we are called into this, this way of righteousness and, we, and we're given the spirit in, in Romans chapter eight and we're learned that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And we are no longer slaves, we are actually children of the most high. And so this therefore is pregnant with expectation and hope and truly response. And, and, and just to be sure, Paul wants us to make sure we understand that it's all about the mercies of God. Uh, art class was not my um, specialty, so bear it with me. But it's all about the mercies of God. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, he's, he's writing to the church like their family. He says, by the mercies of God, this is the therefore. He says, by the, this is a good summary. Remember in chapter nine when he says, we, the people of God, get to be what? Instruments of God's mercy. We get to be instruments of God's mercy because of God's mercy. What is mercy? Not getting what you deserve. God's mercy that, he, that we don't get what we deserve, the wrath of God, he says this, present your bodies, and here's, and here's the big, I, I believe, summary of all of this gospel response. He says, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And this living sacrifice is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now maybe you're wondering, what does that look like? How do I respond as a living sacrifice? 
I, I like the language there. It's kind of paradoxical. Kind of, that, that's really cool. I'm happy you asked that. I think he explains that in the following verse. He says, he uses this, don't do this, but do this paradigm. He explains to us a little bit of unpacking what it looks like to be living sacrifices because of the mercy of God. He says, you, church, don't be conformed to this world, or I love some translations say, the pattern of this world, the ways of thinking of this world. Don't be conformed to the, the catechisms of this world, but be transformed. Transformed, around here we like to say, changed by the renewing of your mind. I love the, 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 the connection here. We have don't be conformed, but be, tr- but be transformed. These words, don't be this, be this. Not don't be conformed, be transformed. And how do we be transformed? By the renewal of your mind. This word for the renewal of your mind, it's a word that, that is this ongoing in the Greek. It's not a one-time snap your finger and it happens. It's this, it's this transforming renewal of your mind that happens by the spirit that you've been given. And when you have the spirit, all of a sudden you can now, by the renewing of your mind, do what? You can test and discern what, God, what the will of God is. His good his acceptable, and his perfect will. And this kind of lays the groundwork for what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks of living sacrifice. And it's really interesting to me because Paul frames it all this way and then he gets into, well, what does this look like for the church? For us as a church, as the body of Christ, what does it look like for us to be a living sacrifice in the church. And Paul gives us really three points here that I think follow this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the first is this. In the church, we don't think of ourselves first. As a matter of fact, we think of ourselves last. As a part of of the people of God, the ways of the kingdom, the ways of Jesus, we don't think of ourselves first, we think of ourselves last. Look at what Paul says here in verse three. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has designed. Paul is anticipating here that we have an ego problem. That if we're not careful, our tendency is this natural tendency that we think, I am the center of the universe. And everything revolves around me. Or man, my gifts are, are so much more important than this person's gifts. Or less, my gifts are so much less important than this, and Paul is saying there is a major ego issue here, and we need to have this sober judgment. Why? In view of God's mercy. He's kind of saying, as a people of God, because of the grace of God, we need to recognize that we are part of the problem, 
and God's grace works in spite of us and through us. As the great thinker, deep thinker, also uh, Travis Kelsey's girlfriend, Taylor Swift, uh, says, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Right, Selah? That was for Selah. We have this ego problem. And Paul is calling us as a church to this new way of living. We're not, there's, there's the way of the world, and then there's the way of the king. And the way of the king is different than the way of the world. The way of the king, as Mike said in our teaching team, is this complete yielding of ourselves. It is total surrender. And this should be what is exemplified in the church. Oh, it's not about me. I'm, I'm a part, and I'm just gonna yield God to what you have called me into. This is what we're called to. That we are not the first to speak. We actually think of ourselves last. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this with humility. This doesn't mean, this is not about thinking less of yourselves. It's not about having a bad self-image or thinking or just beating yourself up. It's just about thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. It's not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. It's about saying, I've been called to be a part of this, of this, of this group of people who are called on mission, who are called to respond together, so I'm not gonna think of myself as much. I'm gonna think of the others. I'm gonna think of my family. It's this complete surrender to the ways of Jesus. And so we have this first dichotomy of we're not thinking of ourselves first, we're thinking of ourselves last. We're actually following in the ways of Jesus. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he said very similar to Paul's language when Paul says, I say to you, Jesus would say verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, he says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is a way of the kingdom of God. And so in the church, you must be thinking this way. Think of myself less and think of others first. Second, we are not our own and we belong to Christ's body. It's kind of an interesting sentence. I look forward to unpacking that with you. We are not our own and we belong to Christ's body. I find it really fascinating in this passage as we think about how this is connected, but Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this word, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He says, I offer you, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, to, he says, offer your bodies, that's plural, so all of us are to bring this offering of our bodies, but then he says, as a living sacrifice, that's singular. And so together, all of us offering are a part of one living sacrifice that we're joining in. It's going from this individual, me-centered world to a we-centered, belonging to something bigger than us. Look at what he says here in verses four and five. He says, for as in one body, we have many members, Right, in my body I got fingers, I got, I got toes, I got legs, I got arms, I got eyes, I got ears. We have many members and the, and the members do not all have the same function. 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Paul writes about this a little bit more in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God look who's the designer here, has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it were, we are many parts, yet one body. I love what Paul's doing here. He's calling out the diversity of the church. He's saying we all have this, these different aspects to play, and all of us have different gifts. All of us have different abilities. All of us have different passions. And God brings us together, and each of you have gifts, abilities, and passions that the church needs. Your stories are needed. And, and Paul is telling you, and it's not about you, it's about belonging. To Christ. One of my favorite books I got to read over the last few years is this book by a guy named Alan Noble. He wrote a book called I, You Are Not Your Own. And the whole premise of the book is that we live in a world that is all about you be you. Your truth is your truth. Your body is your body. It's all about, that's the culture that we live in. But the premise of the book is that that culture is exhausting. And it actually leads to really difficult, hard things in life because we weren't meant to create ethics. We weren't meant to, to, to determine what right and wrong were. We were created by a creator who we were created to belong to. And actually life is much more better when we belong to Christ. Life is so much better when we live under his reign, his good reign, his right reign. And Paul is saying something similar here. He's saying you, when you've been baptized in, when you've been a part of this new way of the kingdom of God, you now belong to Christ. And this church, the, the, the scriptures tell us that the church is his body. He is the head of the church. And we together form the body of Christ on earth as it is in heaven. Alan Noble says this. He says, Christ's body here on earth is the church. When you accept your belonging in Christ and his sacrifice for your sins, you are united with his body. You have a place, you have a role, you have a purpose within a community across space and time. I love this. I get one of the wonderful like, privileges of looking out and seeing all of you and thinking about the places you work, thinking about your families, thinking about your passions, thinking about, man, God has called us together to share and belong together and to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And I get so excited thinking about this thinking about our future together as a part of this community. 
And I think this pushes back. I've heard people say, oh, you know what, I, I love Jesus. I, I, I love the gospel, but man, the church is full of people and they're so difficult and they've hurt me and I have this trauma or whatever it may be and so I'll just do my own, it's just me and Jesus. And that's a great like, idea, but it's not biblical. Because the scriptures tell us that we are called to be a part of a messy group of people. And we're called to be a part and, and somehow God in his grace has called us to belong to each other as we belong to Christ. And so if we view the scriptures as authoritative, Paul here, he's not saying, you know what, if you find a church that like checks all the boxes and, 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 you, and it fits perfectly, stay there, be a part of that. No, he's saying like, like find a church and, and join in this and belong to the church. Get in the game. God's calling you to use your gifts in the church to join with others. Finally, and I think this might be the most important piece, is our gifts, when I say gifts, I'm not talking about like, like uh, you know, an actual present, I'm talking about your abilities, the things that God has designed you to be able to do, your abilities, your passions. Our gifts, hear this, in the kingdom of God, right, we're not conforming to the pattern of this world, but we're being transformed by the renewing of the mind. Our gifts are not a transaction. They are for transformation. Our gifts are not a transaction. They are for transformation. In other words, I'll do my part, and if I make this transaction, you give this back to me. And we live in a world of transactional love. But yet God is calling us to be a, a community that believes in transformation, or as we love to say, that believes that Jesus changes everything. This is what we're about. That our gifts are in us. That we were uniquely designed as image bearers of God to be a part of his transforming, flourishing work on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things I got to learn this week as I was studying this familiar scripture, one of my buddies, Wes, sent me this podcast by these guys called in the, in the Bible Project. I think I, I referenced it in the, in the notes. And in the Bible Project, they talk about how this idea of a living sacrifice that Paul talks about would have caused the Jewish reader who grew up in the Old Testament with all the sacrifices and the whole story of Abraham, this would have triggered them that Paul was making a really provocative statement. Not just that we are called to, 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 to give sacrifices to God, but to do living sacrifices, but if you know the story of the Old Testament, it's a story about this guy named Abraham, who God says, you're gonna be the father of many nations, not just the people of Israel, of many nations. And he says, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you, and you, your people are gonna be a blessing to all the nations, all the people. As you follow the story of the Old Testament, there's this disobedience and God disciplines his children and he's constantly working in and there's constantly this, this, this desire that for the Messiah to come, for the Christ to come, who's gonna make all things right, who's gonna, who's gonna rescue the people. 
and who's gonna be a blessing to the nations. And there's this one moment in Isaiah when the people are in exile. And it seems to be it's a prophecy about what Paul is writing about now. In Isaiah chapter 66, this, this blew my mind. This might just be a little too nerdy, Bible nerdy for you guys, but man, it's awesome. So you could bear with me here. Isaiah the prophet is writing to the people of God in the very end of Isaiah. And he says this, God is writing to his people. He's speaking to his people about the coming salvation. He says, for I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all the nations and tongues. And they shall come and they shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. What's a sign? It's Jesus. And from them I will send survivors to the nations. This is the remnant, this is the people that have made it through. He says, to Tarshish, to Pool, to Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan. These are some of the geographical areas around Jerusalem. To the coastlands far away because they've not heard of my fame or seen my glory. God's prophesying of what's to come. And look at this. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall, now think about this, what is a living sacrifice? They shall bring all your brothers from all the nations, what? As an offering to the Lord. So the living sacrifice, singular, is this bringing of the nations to the Lord. It's, it's the proclamation of the gospel. It's the transforming work of the grace of God. Do you see this? And so we are called to be a people that are not joining in this transactional work, but in the transforming work of God himself. That is way bigger than we could ever ask or imagine. And so the question that we must ask ourselves as we look at this and as we think about this, is how is God calling me to serve? What does this look like in my life? In verses six through eight, Paul gives us a list of a bunch of gifts, of teaching, of, of service, of, 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 of generosity. And the list is not meant to be exhaustive where it's like, oh man, I don't know if I have any of those gifts. It's meant to be descriptive of what's happening there. And, and there's also a list in, in, in Corinthians 12. There's another list in Ephesians. And it's meant to say that you have, God has uniquely called you, if you are a believer, to be a part of his work in the church of his transforming work in the church. So I would encourage you, as we prepare to go to communion, take some time to think about what this means for you. What is your gap in our serve class? Pastor John's been working through this. I, I love this idea, it's really stuck with me. Uh, how are you uniquely gifted? And not just uniquely gifted, but what are your abilities? As you think about your, your life, as you think about your work, as you think about all that's happening, what, how has God given you abilities, and then what are you passionate about? As you think about that, if this is true, and I believe it is, God is saying those gifts are not for you. They're for the work of the kingdom. And they're not meant just to be for your success, they're meant for the transforming work of God.
So use them. Join others in that work. And what I love is it is so diverse. I just think about this last week. I just think about here at the church, on Tuesday we had this wonderful fall fest. And we had a bunch of you there serving our community. Thousands of people come and, and we, got, we got everywhere from, from people that got the hay and got everything set up to, to people that, that, that were serving the candy and, and welcoming others and running the games and figuring out the sound and, 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 and cleaning up after. I think about just that morning, there was a, a woman's Bible study and ladies growing in the word of God. I think about Wednesday when we have our community nights and we got to celebrate recovery and we're, and we're, and we're joining our community and celebrating the sobriety that you can find and stepping out of denial and into the grace of God. And we got Bible studies and we got youth group and we got children's ministry and we got nursery. Or I think about the principals and the, the teachers that we have in our community. I think about, about the football games that I get to go and I know the coaches and I know the soccer coaches and I know, and I think about all these giftings and God saying this is amazing use this for the transforming work of God and this isn't a oh pastor Logan is going to guilt me into signing up to help out with youth group here we go this is not this, that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is that God's word here is just calling us and saying you are important and you belong here If you're not involved, ask God, would you help me to discover how I can be? And you may try something. I tried helping in the kitchen. You're welcome, I didn't stay there. You may try helping out in the nursery and be like, well, I, I, whatever it is, or, or, or you may just feel, feel the Lord saying, you know what, I'm actually already in ministry and I just need to to have the church be joining in the work that I'm doing. This is about the, the, the transforming work of Jesus here in Shashola to this group of beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's one word, I just thought of this right now. In the very beginning in verse one, Remember, Paul just spent three chapters talking to this group of Jews and Gentiles who were very different. Who were a little uncomfortable around each other. And what does he say? He says, therefore, I urge you what? Brothers and sisters. There's a familial part of this. A call to truly belong to a family. And my favorite part about this as we think about the body of Christ is that we get to have communion together. Is that Jesus tells us that the most important piece to all of the transforming work of Christ is not about the things we do, not even about the gifts and the abilities and the passions we have, but about the invitation to eat of his body and drink of his blood. When we drink, of, when we eat of the bread, we're saying I'm joining in your brokenness for me, I'm joining in the work of the cross. When we drink of the cup, we're saying I believe that your blood shed for my sins has paid the price and I am righteous in your eyes. And we're joining in this work. And we do it together in communion.
And so as we prepare our hearts to go to communion, I just would encourage you, there'll be a time when there's some piano being played and when the, the elements are being distributed, I would just encourage you, spend some time communing with Christ. Perhaps you just need to be reminded about his grace. Perhaps you just need to be reminded, wow, I am a instrument of his mercy. Or perhaps he's calling you to take a step in some way today. I have found it really helpful to me to write something down. To actually speak out the little things that God is stirring up in me. And I would encourage you during communion, as you listen to Jesus, as you listen to his call in each of our lives to belong to each other, out of obedience of belonging to him, I encourage you to be courageous. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you, God, that you shed your blood on the cross for, you, for me and for my brothers and sisters in Christ here. And God, I just imagine you right now through your word just urging us, begging us, pleading us by the mercies of God to be a people who respond as a living sacrifice. God, I ask, would you help us learn how? Would you help us to deny ourselves and to take up the cross and follow you? God, we declare we want to, but we also know we struggle with our own flesh. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I, and what I do do, I do not want to do. So God, would you just do a work in us? And I pray, Lord, that as we reflect on this, as we take communion together, God, as we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup, I pray, God, that you would just wrap us in your grace, that we would hear you say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would recognize that you welcome us to this table. And we would come as we are with all of our bruises, with all of our brokenness, with all of our sin, and we do the great exchange. You take our sin and we receive your righteousness. So we feast together. And we love you. And we pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.